Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers, as we continue to get set for Bombers at Red Blacks on Friday. We'll also chat with Jared Ladderbrook, Executive Director of Golf Manitoba, about the U.S. Open beginning on Thursday and how much the Live Golf Series hangs over everything that's coming up on the podcast. U.S. Open gets started tomorrow in Boston, but the Live Tour... Still a hot topic of discussion. Brooks Kepka wants us to stop talking about it. Sorry, Brooks. Kind of a big deal. So as we welcome on Jared Ladderbrook, Executive Director of Golf Manitoba, to preview the U.S. Open. I have to ask you, Jared, how much you've been hearing about and talking about live with people in your day-to-day goings-on. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, it's, it's right up there. Um, Unfortunate that it, it got so much press during our national our national open last week. Uh, it kind of uh, had a shadow over that, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a, a very polarizing topic. But, you know, the money that's being tossed around, and and we're having players defect to that to that league, and and all the other political and and other things that go along with it, with it. But um, you know, nonetheless, it uh, the what we're going to see this week, it's uh, it's it's the U.S. Open, and and a lot of these players will will still be competing in this championship. So, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see some of the best compete uh, this coming week, um, even though the live uh, is is still a, a a very polarizing topic. Well, I mean, you understand why though. It's the first time the PGA Tour has really ever plausibly had a a competitor, right? Yeah, uh, they have. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, they've made their position very clear um, as to, you know, what, you know, what some of the consequences are for those players that have moved over to that tour. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we, we still expect to see some, you know, some, you know, how it's, it's going to be received. Uh, I believe the DP world tour will will not be enforcing any, any type of, um, uh, you know, penalties to, to players or removing them from their tour. So, you know, it's interesting how this will all play out and, um, you know, what can it, can it last? And, and the amount of money being, uh, you know, being suggested here is incredible. So, you know, but from a player's standpoint, I, I, I can, I can kind of see the draw The obviously the money aside, it's, it's the first time that, a, a you know, a tour has come along to do something different in golf. We could certainly say that. And so it's, it's, it's very interesting uh, discussion. So the U.S. Open starts tomorrow at the Country Club in Boston. Fun name. Uh, Rory McIlroy coming off his outstanding performance at the Canadian Open is the favorite to win this tournament. He's 10-1. to 1. Justin Thomas, who kind of stole the PGA Championship, 12-1. Mm-hmm. to 1. And then John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, 15-1 to 1 each. Do you think one of those four will be the winner, or are you looking for outside that group? Well, they're coming in, uh, obviously, you know, very strong, playing, you know, really well. Um, you know, we, we saw a great finish at the RBC with, with Rory and, and Justin Thomas going head-to-head. And, um, you, you know, certainly you're, you're going to watch those players. You have to. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be the fa- obviously the favorites. This golf course is going to test them. Um, I believe uh, very, very small greens, um, you know, tons of accuracy off the tee. You know, so you know, John Rom said it the other day. You know, he was asked, "Well, you know, which club in your bag gives you the most trouble?" And he said, "It's, it's, you know, it depends. It, it, it's weekly. It's daily. You know, so these players can just be on fire. You know, one week and the next, it's, it's, you know, it's a totally different story. So it's really tough to predict. But those players that you mentioned are are certainly ones that we're going to be watching closely to to see how they perform. Do you enjoy it when the U.S. Open winner is over par? It makes them look human out there." 
Um, you know, the USGA has historically set par as as sort of the you know the ideal winning score. Um, you know, and they do that in a number of ways. Uh, you know, very long golf courses. This one is only only coming in at over 7,200 yards. So on paper, you look at it and go, that that's not that's not overly long from a from an open standpoint. Um, but, uh, you know, the greens being really small, the, letting the rough go, uh, we're going to see some drivable par fours in there, which is exciting. Um, you know, but it's certainly, uh, it is, it is something to see, you know, the way that these set these courses up. Uh, and interesting enough, this course is over 128 years old. So it just goes to show that a, a golf course that old and the architecture holding up, you know, standing the test of time, you know, is still going to be a good test for these, you know, the best players in the world. Phil Mickelson, uh, he was obviously part of the Live Golf Tour, had a kind of a feeble press conference earlier this week. He's at this tournament. He's turning 52. He's never won it. It's his, it's his white whale, and it's probably too late for him to ever win this tournament. But nonetheless, beyond the Live Tour, he's always going to be a guy with the spotlight on him at this tournament. How different is it this week, though, because of all that's happened in the last four or five months with him? Yeah, you know, he's he's got some uh he's got some things that he's dealing with right now and um it's nice to see him play. I mean, the chances of him winning are, you know, very very slim. You know, but it is Phil, so I mean, you you, you do you, ne- you never know, but it, it's good to see him there, but uh you know, there there's so much going on with him and and uh you know, the reasons why he's moved over and uh you know, some would suggest that it's it's been a, a stain on his, you know, otherwise, you know, fairly remarkable career um and uh you know we saw it like you said a very different fill in that interview um you know but let's cheer him on let's let's see how he does and and uh you know i'm it's the one that got away from him i know he would have loved to have added this one to you know to his record but uh i i don't see that happening this week as far as the canadians are concerned Corey connors is the uh the guy with the best odds at 50 to 1 you, he's always relevant at the masters last year it was mackenzie hughes though who was part mm. of the final pairing at Torrey Pines and then really fell off. It happens a lot for, for players that aren't used to being in that position in the final round of a major. Yeah. How much do you think that experience could help him going into this year's tournament? Or do you think that was maybe a, a one-off for him? You know, look, it depends on how you, on how you dissect that one. I mean, he was good enough to make the final group um, and he, he played well, you know, the first three days to get there. That shows that he has the game to compete at, at that at that stage and at that level. Um, so if if he was able to to package that one up as a as a good learning experience um, and to you know to use it in, in the right way in a constructive way approaching you know this championship, I think that's really going to help him. Um, you, you know, as uh, you ha- you have to be in those positions, uh, and very rarely does a player come along and and you know pull it off in their first try. I mean that 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 is that's uh, a bit of a an anomaly, but. You know, I, I think that's that's really good for him, um, you know, as he approaches this week. And, and uh, I'm sure he's going to have a nice few days. Uh, and nice to see six Canadians playing um, in this uh, in this championship. So Canadian golf is, is strong. And, uh, you know, we've got some, some nice players teeing it up this week. So could I get a winner pick out of you? <laughs> oh, my record on this has been, has been terrible. But... Uh, you know, I, I looking at uh, at that list of, of players that we talked about, and and uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and and uh, and say Roy McIlroy is my pick for the week. 
it's been a long time since he's won a major. I mean, he's been he's been knocking at the door a little bit recently, but I think it'd be great for golf, especially you look at the way he's kind of carrying the PGA Tour flag right now amidst this whole live thing. He's been talking a lot about the PGAs for him and the legacy of it and, and being a part of this tour just means more than going over and grabbing the paycheck over in Europe with the Saudi League. It seems like he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder right now. Yeah, he d- he does. I mean, look, there's an interesting part of the live tour. I mean, golf is the only professional sport where you're, you're not guaranteed a paycheck. Um, you know, and 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 that's part of the draw for these players moving over there. Um, they're looking for a little more predictability and consistency. And and but it's easy, for, you know, for some of the best to say. Um, you know, this is the tour for me and it's, it's the best, it is the best tour. It's the best players, but you know, the, you know, they're not in a tough position. They don't have to worry about, you know, their next week or, or making that cut or, or, you know, making that next payment on their house. I mean, they're, they're in a really strong position and, and, but you know, they earn that right. But um, you, you know, you are right. I mean, McElroy is kind of the poster child right now for, you know, for, you know, his, is he's out, you know, outspoken against the live tour and, and what it represents and what it stands for. And, and, uh, you know, he's coming in with some confidence just coming off the, the victory at the RBC and, and watching just sort of a, a, you know, a dissection of his game and, and they're, you know, talking about how his wedge game has really improved. And that was, that was really one of the Achilles heels in the last couple of years with, with him. You know, he's a great driver of the golf ball. He can putt the ball well. But when he came in with a short club in his hands, he was he was making some mistakes that you wouldn't expect from you know, expect from a player of his of his caliber. So I think he's 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 ironed that out. He's he's coming in probably the best in the last couple of years into a major championship, and uh, you know that's why I would would put him at uh, as one of my top favorites. Jared, appreciate you coming on. Love talking golf with you. Thanks for this, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk before the Open Championship later on this summer. Thanks so much, Christian. We head to Ontario now where we find Derek Taylor, who has just arrived ahead of Friday's game. The Blue Bombers in Ottawa. Derek, uh, you heading out a little early this week? Yeah, just a couple days in advance. That way we get to talk to the Red Blacks tomorrow, get the Bombers availability when they get to town. So, yeah, just to, you know, sit down, get the lay of the land and uh, see, try to figure out how the Bombers are going to crush the Red Blacks. So it was a squeaker in last Friday's game. Of course, we've, we've done a lot of dissecting of what's happened uh, in that game since then. But from your perspective, where are the biggest areas of concern for the Bombers that you have after one game? Uh, Need to figure out why the Bombers gave up 380 yards passing, a number they didn't give up at any point in any game last season. Uh, Is it just Jeremiah Masoli? Is there something special that Paul Apolis can do now that he has talented players or or, or what that is, because if if Masoli keeps getting rid of the ball so fast, the defensive line, even with Jackson Jeffcoat back, doesn't have much of a chance of generating, you know, real quarterback pressure. So how can the coverage improve? You know, those back six, how can they get better? How does Kyrie Wilson get involved, you know, as a seventh? Anything like that, uh, because, you know, they've had games where they couldn't run the ball last season through the running back, and they managed to get through those, but... The 380 yards passing, which could have been 460 if Jalen Acklin doesn't drop that wide open bomb. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one I think that is most the outlier from last season. Well, and the thing too, Derek, is I think at least I counted three of them that happened on the first play following a Blue Bomber 
a score or possession change where they just first down, they're in their own end. Mazzoli's like, yeah, I'm going to chuck it. And it works out for them because they, they hit these big plays. Kind of a bend but don't break for the bomber defense as they often just give up field goals after those plays didn't give up much mm. following the big bombs except for the uh, the first touchdown where Shaq Johnson scored a couple plays after a big bomb. Is there something just about that scenario specifically that the bombers just have to be more attuned to? Well, Winston Rose struggled. We, you, I mean, you saw it from field level. Winston Rose had a real struggle. Uh, he, he got taken by Acklin on the one drop we mentioned. He got beat by Acklin on a double move later in the game for another big game. And then the one that's the, just the most confounding is the big catch by Marco Dubois. When you go back and look at that, Dubois was in a three-point stance as a tight end. And it was clearly, I mean, it appears to be one-on-one. How does an inline tight end who weighs, whatever, 235, 240 pounds, beat Winston Rose down the field? And you go, oh, gosh, I hope that's not, I hope that doesn't indicate that the fact he was wearing a boot 10 days ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, is a problem. Uh, Rose didn't practice today because with and they list him as with a foot injury or a foot problem is the reason he didn't practice. You just hope that's not a that's not a, a thing that that led to that. And it was just, you know, just one of those days. But I guess we'll know more when they put up the roster tomorrow and then as the game kicks off on Friday. But getting Jeff Coat back has to be a help for the Bobbers. Oh, it, it, I mean, it can't, out of the auspices of it can't hurt. You're absolutely right. The the thing is, right, there were so many times in that game where you go, Masoli, boop, boop, ball's gone. And no no, no rusher, no Jefferson, no Jeff Code, no Jake Thomas, nobody can get there in a second and a half. So if they're determined to, to get the ball out that fast, well, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a long day of not getting pressure and you have to try to figure out other ways to affect it. But, I mean, Jackson Jeffcoat is – I mean, defensive player of the year in the CFL caliber player and to, to be missing him and replace him with a raw rookie and LB Mack and, and full props to LB Mack for, for good things he did in that game. But Jackson Jeffcoat is a top two, top three defensive end of the CFL getting him back. Definitely, a, definitely a benefit. Were the kicking questions silenced by Mark Leggio in game one? Um, no, because he missed a convert, right? So he, that that will linger. He hit the game-winning field goal. He missed a convert. His punting was fantastic. His net average in that game was 40 yards, and there were two different times where his directional punting forced Ottawa to put a second returner out there. Uh, kickoffs were what 63 yards per. That's a, that's a that's a fine number. That's it's okay. Uh, so uh, you know, as far as the three jobs go, I think he he gets a very much a passing grade. But if you're a Bomber fan, you go, ah, but he missed a convert again. So what, the, the six of ten now on converts for, for his career? And you try to try to rationalize that one and, and try to figure out what that means. But I, all in all, like all things considered, I was I was impressed with Legio in game number one for sure. Talking a lot of negatives, I think, here. What, what stood out the most as a positive sense for the Bombers in game one? Oh, that's a real good question because it just gave us – there were so many things that we didn't expect that just gave us pause. Uh, Greg Ellingson was absolutely uh, was absolutely a, a positive in that one. Just It, it just feel, it feels like he and Zach Kolaris, you know, are like best buddies just playing in the backyard, and they haven't played together since 2014 in Hamilton. You go, that, okay, well, that's unusual, and I love it. Uh, Dalton Schoen's performance. Honestly, all the uh, – all the guys were making their first starts, all of their performances. That was going to be one of the things we tried to figure out is, okay, well, you got to fill in for 
Kenny Lawler and Darvin Adams, and you had to fill in for Mercy Maston slash Alden Darby, and you had to fill in for Jackson Jeffcoat. All, all the guys who were making their, their first starts really uh, were on the scale from good to really quite fantastic in the case of Dalton Schoen. So I think that's that's a real nice sign. Schoen, right, he makes that fumble, gets his head blown off, and then could have, could have you know, fallen back into a shell and, and done nothing the rest of the game. But there he was making a big catch on the, on the final drive on first and fifteen. Right, Shone really. Coach O'Shea was glowing about him on the coaches' show on Monday, and I, and I think with with good reason. Trod Baltimore, by the way, for those at home, uh, he got fined today for that hit. Is that something oh, where the the league should have probably enforced something on the play? I know we were looking at the play; it didn't cause the fumble. He was already fumbling by the time the the hit happened. But it seemed to me like that's something that should have been penalized, perhaps. It's. I think. I think of it in two ways. Uh, like Coach O'Shea said again on the coaches' show, it's tough to ask a defender to change his level when an offensive player changes his level. Shown's going to the ground. Baltimore's target changes. Uh, the other part of that is, I get. I get. It's hard, but the other part of that is the league doesn't really care, right? It's a shot to the head. It was a stiff shoulder to the head. Fortunately, Shown is okay. Uh, and, and it's tough, but we've we've put a lot of things on defenders. You have to be perfect, and you have to hit this tiny strike zone, even if it changes. We we kind of don't care as the as the arbiters of football. So uh, I I I'm I'm on Baltimore. I would have liked to see 15 yards in the time. Although I mean, if you're the fan of the team that gets that penalty, it's it's going to strike you as unfair, and it's certainly going to happen to the Bombers at some point as well. Uh, but that's just kind of where we are at football. If it's if it's a clean shot to the head like that one was, there, there should have been something in the moment as well. It would have also given the Bombers the ball back, so it would have been a, a huge play of consequence if it had been called. But uh, looking at the well, one last an- analytical point here for the Bombers' point of view, mm-hmm. the run game was nothing in game number one for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Neither team ran the ball, really, in game number one. Uh what do you think was the cause of that? If you can pinpoint one, um, that's good. I've 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 watched back a few of the run plays. There was this lineman gets beaten. These two guys try to get to the second level and just don't get to the linebacker in time, and they both explode. Brady Oliveira, uh, Coach O'Shea today today said it was just physicality, right? You just have to be more physical, which you know you have to be quicker out to your guy essentially, and and get to him, or you know. Just in in one case, just not get beaten on your inside gap when when the, the tackle is going after you know trying to kill Johnny Augustine in the backfield. Uh, it's just physicality. Honestly, it's probably I just it's another one of those ones that based on what we know about four fifths of this offensive line and then Jeff Gray and twelve starts, we know they're good and we know they can move bodies out of the way in the run game. So I kind of feel like okay, maybe maybe did they get caught by surprise by a relatively unknown defensive line? I mean. Cleon Lang, uh, Devon Coleman are veterans in this league. The two ends and the rotation guys a little less so. Did they get caught maybe by surprise? Uh, I I don't know for sure if if that's the case, but it was though the numbers aren't unprecedented. It was it was shocking to see it in week number one. CFL week number two begins tomorrow night in Toronto. The Argos we see them for the first time this season against the Montreal Alouettes. Are you excited to see what the Argos have for 2022? I I am because they're a team that I think is going to they they were first in the East last year. I think they fall back this year for various reasons like oh they were nine and five but they were actually outscored by their opponents and 
they were nine and five, but they were seven and one in games that were decided by one score, which tends to regress the next season. So my, my impression is they're going to fall back and then they're they're dealing with injuries like like a few teams. And you've got two other guys in Brandon Banks and Andrew Harris who were injured for a good portion of last season as well. So how will they be able to to withstand that? But uh, I'm I'm big on I'm big on the Cloud Bethel Thompson. That guy's got an incredible arm and he was subject to some bad luck last season. So I think his best days are probably ahead of him. Uh, I just don't know if it's going to be enough for the Argos, uh, and I would love to. I'm I'm curious to see if I'm right on that one. I'm always curious to see if uh, ha, just how smart or how dumb I am. I'm I'm go- I'm cool with either way, but I just like to see it play out. And uh, the Saturday doubleheader as well. You've got the Stampeders at Tiger Cats, Saskatchewan at Edmonton. The Elks can't be that bad, right? Or are they actually that bad? <laughs> Have you ever seen a team be that bad for the length of the season? That wasn't like the Oh gosh, those those Ottawa teams that that made the playoffs in like four games, or some of those just terrible American teams back in the day. It was just I, you, forty-two points and a half and fifty-nine for the game. That can't that can't be that can't be real. But Saskatchewan is no joke, right? The Saskatchewan is, to me is a better team than BC. At least we thought coming into the season. Uh, it, it could be that bad again. Uh, Edmonton's got to figure some some stuff out and. It's going to be a long process, right? Chris Jones rebuilds. They're never quick. They may be successful, uh, like the one in Saskatchewan. But that first season in Saskatchewan was was a nightmare of four or five wins, whatever it was. It didn't go great, but you put the pieces in place. And right now, he does not appear to have a bunch of the pieces in place. And blaming on the quarterback ain't going ain't gonna to get it done because that, that was in no way Nick Arbuckle's fault. And finally, the, the Stamps and Tiger Cats, two teams that I'm not quite sure – what to think of after week one stamps kind of get away with one against the Alouettes and then Hamilton. I mean, the points were hard to come by in that game against the, the rough riders in week one. Well, yeah. Their defense was doing everything it should have in the beginning, right? They held, they held Saskatchewan to five field goals. And if your offense can't put up 15 points an offense, I, we had kind of thought was pretty good. Uh, that's going to be an issue because they've suffered some losses and some injuries on defense as well. The problems at tackle, receiving core isn't as deep, and I've just I've just never been a Dane Dane Evans guy, uh, and that's another one I'm curious to see because there is no safety net, right? There's no Jeremiah Masoli to come bail them out uh, in in the playoff game or in the Grey Cup or you know the vice versa of Dane Evans to bail out Jeremiah Masoli. It's just Dane Evans now, so all his all his flaws are going to get exposed and all his warts are going to get pointed out to folks. I. Yeah, I, and then hey, let's let's never run the ball with the running back is is not something that's going to be in Evans' favor. So, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see those. Plus, Bo coming off that what was called a foot injury, he was in a walking boot. How is Bo Levi Mitchell will be a big factor in that game too? Last question before I let you go: Where does Ottawa's home crowd and environment rank in terms of road venues to call a game at? Uh probably it, it's probably the second most entertaining. Saskatchewan, I mean, there, there's just so many, and there's so much green. It's it's bonkers there. Uh, Ottawa is fantastic because they've really embraced the the flannel and the woodcutter themes and everything. Ottawa, the stadium isn't the nicest stadium in the league. It's it's you know a rebuilt older facility with some nice parts tacked on. But if you get a chance, go to a game in Ottawa. They really they really love their football there, and it's only been back since what 2014. 
uh, they really have embraced the Red Blacks. They've really struck on something there. So I quite enjoy it. Well, hope you enjoyed Friday night. We'll be uh, checking it out from here, Derek. Have a good time. Thanks, brother. Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain